This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Ukraine said it shot down 10 missiles and more than 20 drones, which Russia launched at its capital, Kyiv, and eastern cities overnight. At least two people were killed and 30 more were injured in Dnipro after a missile hit a hospital there. In Kharkiv, a northeastern city, a fire reportedly broke out in an oil depot after it was struck twice. Janet Yellen gave June the 5th as the updated, quote, X date, when America's government will default on its debts unless the borrowing limit is raised. That is several days later than the Treasury Secretary's previous forecast of June the 1st. President Joe Biden and Kevin McCarthy, the Republican Speaker of the House, are reportedly close to reaching a deal to raise the debt ceiling. A Singaporean judge ordered Credit Suisse, a collapsed Swiss bank, to pay $926 million to Bidzvina Ivanishvili, Georgia's former Prime Minister. The blow comes ahead of the finalisation of its takeover by UBS, a rival bank, next week. Mr Ivanishvili, also Georgia's richest man, first sued the bank for alleged fraudulent mismanagement of his money. Credit Suisse said it would appeal against the ruling and described the judgment as, quote, wrong. American consumer spending jumped by 0.8% month-on-month in April, exceeding expectations. After tax income rose by 0.4%, as America's job market shows little sign of cooling. The Federal Reserve's preferred measure of inflation also ticked up to 4.4% in the year to April, up from 4.2% in March. This may force the Fed to consider raising interest rates again. Alexander Vucic, Serbia's president, ordered army units towards the border of Kosovo. Earlier, a group of ethnic Serbs clashed with police in northern Kosovo while trying to block newly elected officials from entering municipal buildings. Police fired tear gas. A police car was set on fire. Serbia's defence minister, Milos Vucevic, said that it was clear that, quote, terror against the Serb community in Kosovo is happening. The Turkish lira fell to a record low ahead of the presidential runoff on Sunday dipping to 20 to the dollar. Since the election on May 14th, in which President Recep Tayyip Erdogan gained a narrow lead, the Turkish lira has dropped by 2.1%. Foreign investors in the country are deeply sceptical of Mr Erdogan's flawed economic policies. Belgium and Iran conducted a prisoner swap in Oman, which brokered the deal. Iran freed Olivier von der Castille, a Belgian aid worker, in exchange for Assadollah Assadi, a diplomat. Mr. von der Castille had been sentenced to 40 years in prison and 74 lashes for alleged espionage, which he denies. Mr. Assadi had been sentenced to 20 years in connection to a bomb plot in France. And word of the week, shikatsu, or death planning in Japanese a term that combines the words end and activity and is often used in relation to funeral planning. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Russia's Bakhmut victory overshadowed. 
On Thursday, Yevgeny Prigozhin, whose Wagner group recently claimed a Pyrrhic victory in Bakhmut, said his forces had begun withdrawing from the Ukrainian city, soon to be replaced by official Russian soldiers. Wagner's win came at an immense cost. At least 10,000 of the 50,000 men whom it recruited from Russian prisons and a similar number of regular fighters died there, according to Mr. Prigozhin. Outside Bakhmut, the attention of Russian military bloggers has focused on the cross-border raid by pro-Ukrainian militias in Russia's Belgorod region. Russia says it expelled the groups responsible. Whether or not Kyiv was behind the raid, the humiliation has worsened Russian morale. Now the battlefield has the feel of the lull before a storm. In this case, Ukraine's much-anticipated counter-offensive. The Kissinger Century On Saturday, Henry Kissinger turns 100. As National Security Advisor and then Secretary of State, Mr. Kissinger orchestrated America's rapprochement with China in 1972 and arms control treaties with the Soviet Union. But he is also a deeply polarizing figure, accused of enabling human rights abuses in Bangladesh, Cambodia, Chile, and elsewhere. In 1973, he controversially won a Nobel Peace Prize for negotiating a ceasefire in the Vietnam War. Although he has not held public office for 46 years, China's rise makes Mr. Kissinger's analysis of great powers increasingly relevant. Ahead of his centenary, he spent more than eight hours in conversation with The Economist. He outlined his deep concerns about the state of relations between America and China. Quote, we are on the path to confrontation, he warned, because, quote, both sides have convinced themselves that the other represents a strategic danger. But Mr. Kissinger also laid out his strategy for avoiding World War III through realism, dialogue, and leadership. Winners appointed at Cannes On Saturday, the main prizes will be handed out at the 76th annual Cannes Film Festival, including the coveted Best in Show Award, the Palme d'Or. One hotly tipped contender is The Zone of Interest, which dramatizes the daily lives of Rudolf Hess, Christian Friedel, the commandant of the Auschwitz concentration camp, and his wife Hedwig, Sandra Hölle, a favorite in the Best Actress category. Directed by Jonathan Glazer, it was adapted from the novel by Martin Amis, who died on the day of its premiere, May 19th. Several of the festival's highest-profile films were shown out of competition, so are not eligible for awards. They include Killers of the Flower Moon, a true crime saga directed by Martin Scorsese, and Jean Dubéry, a French costume drama starring Johnny Depp, who has had two recent court battles relating to domestic abuse allegations. Protesters were unhappy that Cannes gave him the red carpet treatment, even if it can't give him a prize. A French Open Without Its King Few athletes have dominated an event like Rafael Nadal at the French Open. Mr. Nadal has won the Grand Slam title, one of tennis's four most prestigious prizes, 14 times. But for the first time since 2004, the Spaniard, who is injured, will not feature in this year's tournament, which starts on Sunday. His absence opens the door for his great nemesis, Novak Djokovic. Should the Serb win, he would overtake Mr. Nadal as the man with the most Grand Slam titles, 23, and cement his claim as the greatest male tennis player ever. But Mr. Djokovic is himself battling injuries. He will also have to overcome a new generation of young prodigies, led by Carlos Alcaraz, 
a 20-year-old who is the world's top-ranked player and the bookie's favorite. Many consider the Spaniard the heir to Mr. Nadal. The crown should soon be passed. Weekend Profile Bola Tanubu, Nigeria's Incoming President When Bola Tanubu is inaugurated as Nigeria's president on Monday, he will move into the official residence. Among his baggage will be plenty of the political and legal sort. The wealthy 71-year-old styles himself as the godfather of Lagos, Nigeria's sprawling commercial capital, where he was governor for eight years until 2007. His backers say that he cleaned up the city, increased the tax take nearly sixfold, and built infrastructure. Yet his record invites questions. His rivals are still disputing his election win in court and claim it was rigged. Some Nigerians suspect that he pulled strings in dubious ways in the past to help his predecessor as president, Muhammadu Buhari, get elected. Back in 2019, when Mr. Buhari was running for a second term, onlookers spotted two armored vehicles, similar to those used by banks to transport cash, driving into Mr. Tanubu's compound in Lagos. He dismissed any suggestion that he had bought votes. Quote, if I had money, I'd give it to the people free of charge, as long as it's not to buy votes, Mr. Tanubu explained less than reassuringly. Some wonder where his money comes from. His explanations have varied from inheritance and real estate to a large bonus earned while working as an auditor at Deloitte, an accounting firm. In the 1990s, the American government froze his assets over his alleged links to the heroin trade. Mr. Tanubu denied wrongdoing and reached a settlement with the Americans whereby he forfeited $460,000. Others question how he so impressively increased Lagos's tax take. Last year, he settled a lawsuit accusing him of secretly owning most of a firm that had won a contract to collect taxes on behalf of Lagos State during his governorship. Court papers alleged that it earned a commission of 10% on all revenues collected there. Mr. Tanubu again denied wrongdoing. Mr. Tanubu now faces one of the world's toughest intrays. Many Nigerians also question whether he has the energy and health to tackle it. He is often abroad for medical trips, including a recent stay in Paris. As the presidential race last year heated up, Mr. Tanubu had been absent from the public eye for so long that he released a video on Twitter of himself pedaling an exercise bike. Quote, Many have said I have died, he posted. Quote, well, nope. This week's quiz winners. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners chosen at random were Mary Hoffi, Brookline, Massachusetts, America, Ivo Spiegel, Zagreb, Croatia, Steve Corfield, South Croydon, Britain. They gave the correct answers Renault, Sam Mendez, Sarah Lund, Ferrari, and Rick Astley. The theme is characters in Casablanca. Captain Renault, Sam, Ilsa Lund, Senor Ferrari, and Rick Blaine. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Arnold Bennett, who was born on this day in 1867. The proper, wise balancing of one's whole life may depend upon the feasibility of a cup of tea at an unusual hour. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. 
You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.